Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. So it is such a privilege, and I don't use the word lightly for me to be here. Um, and even when I got back from Bethel, uh, my church was uh, dissolved in the time that I was at Bethel with good reason. The leaders heard the Lord, they laid down the mantle. And so I wasn't sure where I was supposed to be, and I had a burning on my heart to just pop into shofar and give honor where honor was due. Because in the year that I was here, I was loved so radically back onto my feet. And I was treated by people where their yes was yes and their no was no. There was an integrity in the people of this church that I had not yet experienced in any part of the bride that I had been a part of yet. And as I walked into this church, I felt this explosion inside of me. And I was like, Father, this is where I want to give away what you've given me. If it be your will, open the door. And within 10 minutes, one of the leaders had come to me and said, Alexandra, how long are you here for? Can we put you on the roster? We want you to preach. (laughs) Absolutely. So what excites me about that is that I know that today is a divine appointment on my life and a divine appointment on your life. And before I pray, I just want you to declare after me, it is not a coincidence that I am here today, that there's something that this woman carries that is radically going to change my life. And what I want to ask of you is, if I have full permission to be who I am today, please raise your hand. Thank you. So I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are not only within me, but that you are upon me. Father, I thank you for the divine appointment that is over the lives of the people this morning, Lord, that the spirit of freedom is in the room to break open hearts and minds and to come after hope deferred and bring in a new flood of hope that redefines hope in the hearts of people, a hope that does not disappoint. Father, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that suddenly years and years of pain and confusion in my own life suddenly becomes worth it. Suddenly I understand what it was all about so that a people can come into a level of freedom that they never knew could possibly be available to them in this lifetime. So, Father, I thank you, and Holy Spirit, I yield. Whatever it is you want to say this morning, whatever it is you want to do, I yield. I yield to your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to share a little bit about my story. Um, particularly just in the past sort of two years. Um, The story before that is as exciting, but that's for another day. We can have coffee. Um, So I want to take you back to last year, Easter weekend. Um, I was working for Nedbank. 
um, and at that time doing exceptionally well, which was part of the redemption plan of the Father of my life. Because I had been in corporate previously where I wasn't recognized, and, and it, was, it was hard. And I suddenly went to Nedbank, and the redemption and the restitution of the Father was made real to me, where I was given a jurisdiction with executives in the bank, and um, the favor of the Lord was upon me. And on Easter weekend last year, I was dreaming with the Lord, and I was like, I could see the next five years of my life at Nedbank and where I was going to be taken, and there was going to be prosperity, and um, logically speaking, it would make no sense for me to have heard the Lord, what he was about to say, after having revealed that dream. And as I was seeing this five-year plan, I suddenly knew that that was not the dream of my heart. And yet I, I knew that that dream would financially secure me, would pay for school fees for the children that I have not yet had, but will have. Um, but I knew if I pursued this dream, that I wouldn't know the Father the way that I know I want to know him. And that doesn't mean that if you call to corporate, you're not going to know him intimately. But I knew that there wasn't a grace on my life to pursue this dream and intimately know him like I know that I'm designed to. And in that moment, he spoke to me and he said, Alexandra, I want you to lay this dream down and I want you to follow me with everything that you are. And in that moment, my phone beeped. It was on the side, and I picked it up, and it was a message from someone I hear from once a year, and it said, why don't you apply to Bethel College? What have you got to lose? And in that moment, opened up my laptop, started applying. I couldn't even get through the application form because it opens with the definition of a revivalist. And as I began to read a revivalist, I was reading the blueprint of my life. I was seeing myself written in words on this piece of paper. And I knew that this piece of paper was the door to the destiny of what I was born for. And I want to tell you something. When it's God's decision, it's God's provision. Because instantaneously my question was, how am I going to do it? It's $5,000 for the tuition alone, let alone the your living expenses and gas, money. Um, and suddenly I get a phone call after I was issued a five-year visa, which South Africans don't normally get a five-year visa. My heart actually sank when I got the five-year visa. Because then I knew I wasn't going to be coming back for a while. And with that, I get a phone call from an anonymous person saying, have you been accepted? Yes. Have you got your visa? Yes. Well, the Lord's put it on my heart to pay for your tuition. God's decision, God's provision. And I remember the Lord saying that to me in that time, saying, Alexandra, you're crying out for me to provide for you as if it is not my heart to bring in the resources alongside you. Because what you don't know is that if I don't provide for you the mandate on your life and the places I need to take you and the impact I need to make through you cannot be fulfilled and therefore I cannot be glorified through you. It is more for me that I do it than it is for you. What a change of thinking. So... 
there I'm thinking the Lord is sending me to Bethel to kind of give me a, a tap on the back of, you know, Alexandra, you've been complacent with the things of God. You've got this call on your life. You've got this mantle to carry. You're not walking in it. You, you, you know, you're messing around a little bit. You're getting a bit distracted. We need to get going. And I no sooner get there. God, he's a God of love. I no sooner get there. And it's my first week there. And I'm going for a walk with the Father. And I suddenly hear myself crying out a prayer that I had prayed many times with zero faith and also no sooner prayed the prayer that I would withdraw it because I didn't feel it was on his heart to ever come through for me in this area, that he was interested in so many other areas of my life but this area. But suddenly for the first time in 20 years, I'm 33, in 20 years, this prayer rose out of this place of faith that I had not yet known before and I knew that I was praying in line with the heart of the Father and his will for my life because he was about to do this very thing that I was praying and my prayer said father if you give me nothing else from this year at Bethel no anointing no ministry no power no authority but you give me back the ability to love myself again that's all I'm going to ask you for so what you guys don't know is that for 20 years I lived under the weight of a very deep self-hatred and self-rejection, as well as the fear of people knowing the greatness of my life. Both those things, one keeps you isolated, the other keeps you hidden. Both keep you from being seen Both keep you from glorifying and releasing the manifest glory of God to those around you whom you are sent. What a strategy of the enemy. So when I was 13 years old, actually prior to being 13, I was so in love with life. You couldn't stop me. You couldn't hold me back. I would walk into a room and shift an atmosphere. I absolutely loved life, and most of all, I loved who God had created me to be, and there's something so powerful in that, and I even remember thinking at the age of 11, I'm so happy that I'm me and nobody else, and what's so powerful in that belief system is that there's no room for comparison, and you are not afraid to make room for other people who carry the greatness that you carry because you know that there is more room around that table for more people who carry greatness. So you're not, you're not afraid. You're not clutching on to whatever favor you have. You release it. And what's the most powerful thing about loving yourself well and where the scripture of Psalm 139, 14, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What's so powerful about loving yourself well is that you can only love people in accordance and to the measure to which you love yourself. And even more so, you can only understand and comprehend the love of the Father when he speaks it over you to the degree and measure of which you love you. Do you see what's happening upon the earth? Can you see why this is so important? And that's why when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest of the commandments, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And I want to tell you something. A word that's been spoken over me several times in my life is that every time I preach, there will be impartation. So in everything that I'm saying, just know that the Spirit of God is in the room. The angels that have been assigned to my life and to your life are active in the room and they're ministering to your heart and they're planting seeds within your heart as I'm speaking. Whether you feel it or don't feel like there's something in the supernatural that's taking place right now. So... When I was 13, I was on a beach holiday with an anorexic friend of mine. Because I was 13, so I was just 12, just 12 having turned 13, so I'm, you know, I'm still in the very ignorant, not knowing the difference in body shapes and sizes and things like this. I don't even know that she's anorexic. I just know that her body's very different from mine. And I can't work out what the difference is, but her stomach is concaving in like this, and mine's normal, and I had that. I'm like, which is right and which is wrong? And the enemy spotted something. He spotted a, slightly, a door that was going slightly ajar. Suddenly, I was starting to ask questions about my worth. Suddenly, I was asking questions about the perfection of what God created. And I remember going to my brother at the age of 13 with my heart pounding in my chest because my brother had previously said to me how perfect I am. There's nothing that needs to change about me. So I thought, I'm going to go to my brother and I'm going to ask him, if there's something about my physical being that needs to change, but I know he's going to say I'm perfect, and then everything is going to go away. And as he says I'm perfect, it's going to dictate the next very many years of my life, and I'm going to live in that freedom of knowing that God has created something of the utmost perfection as he's created you. And I went to my brother and I asked him if there's something that needs to change. And unfortunately, he said yes. And I remember that moment. It was like Adam and Eve in the garden. I went from freedom and unashamed to absolute levels of shame where all of me covered up. I went from being blind to seeing in the natural. I went from being a person of the spirit to being a person of the flesh. In that moment, it was like Spider-Man shooting out a web over me, and I felt it. It was like a cold sweat went over my body, and something clutched my throat. And I got up off the couch in that moment, and I went to my bedroom, and I started running on the spot for 25 minutes to try and gain some level of perfection in my body again, because now I knew that I was not perfect. So the word exercise, I'd never known up until that moment. I'd always done sport and all of that. Why? For the joy of sport. It was never about exercise. It was never about punishment. It was never about, I'm not good enough that I need to beat myself to a pulp in order to be good enough. And that's when the trauma began. And so for 20 years, I was governed by the lie that I was not good enough. And so what happened is that the self-hatred came in and the self-rejection. And it was a vicious cycle. The more I hated myself, the uglier I looked because my body responded. Because your body, I mean, your brain sends neurotransmitters billions upon billions a millisecond to your body. Your body is understanding everything that you are thinking about it. So my body was responding to the thoughts that I was thinking toward it. And it became it. And the more it became it, the more I believed it. So it was this vicious cycle. And then on the opposite pendulum of the swing... There was this fear of people recognizing what was on my life. Because if they could see the greatness that was on my life, which is on yours as well, which is why you're here this morning, then they would dislike me or persecute me or ostracize me 
or sideline me or not celebrate what was on my life. And from a very young age, I learned very quickly that the best way I can maintain many friendships is if I dial myself right down. And if I don't reveal the leadership that's on my life, the calling, the glory of God, the authority, but if I dial that right down, and this poem just says it so brilliantly, and I feel like this is the story of many of your lives by Marion Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Come on. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So my year in Bethel was a year, actually, of me being put back together, of me being seeing the permission slips from heaven that were over my life, and the Father saying, Alexandra, you have permission. You have permission to take a hold of this. You have permission to own who you are. You have permission to take a hold and release what I have done. You have permission to release your voice. And just right now, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is releasing some people's voices, some of you who are too afraid to take a microphone like this, or too afraid to own the blueprint that's on your life because of what it might look like to your family or to yourself or to your spouse but to own the blueprint that is on your life with humility and with honor and governed by love. So after about eight months um, at Bethel, and most of my year at Bethel was spent with no mascara on. Mascara was a waste of time. Because you just cried off and then look ridiculous. So... I think I cried solidly for eight months. Um, I had no idea how much grief I had within me because self-hatred and self-rejection and the persecution that comes through having greatness on your life is, is something that's so internal, it's almost a silent killer. And so because I had this strong outer demeanor and I had learned how to carry myself and put my strongest foot forward, nobody knew the pain that I was carrying and not even I did. And when I got over there, I remember, you know, we have worship every day at school and we have school four days a week. I promise you guys, it's, it's like, it's not even fair, <laughs> the kind of life you have there. <laughs> Like coming out of corporate where it's so stressful into this, this four-day school where you have incredible speakers um, who are carrying the heart of the Father, who in every time that they speak, they want to point you to the face of Jesus Christ. Wonderful leadership. And you have worship every day. And I remember in the first month, every time there'd be worship, there's about 1,200 students and all these students will go gung-ho, finito for God and like getting caught up in the glory of God. And I found myself, every time worship happened, 
I would sit down and kneel over and I had nothing to give. And I was always that person with no matter what my circumstance was, I could praise him because I knew he was good. I never allowed my circumstance to in any way point to him and his nature if my circumstance didn't align with who he was. I always knew he was good. But suddenly, there I am, the person kneeling over and I can't praise him. I can't worship him. I'm at Bethel School of the Supernatural Ministry. I'm, and I'm in the place where it's saturated, where all of you should be getting caught up in the glory clouds of heaven. And I can't even raise my hands. And I remember sitting there going, Father, what's going on here? Because I know that this is not just me going into a deep place of your heart. I know this is me incapable of praising you. What happened? And in his kindness, he gave me a dream. And in the dream, an angel came to me and gave me a piece of paper marked by the word love. And he said to me, write on this piece of paper the very thing you want breakthrough in. And in that moment, I wrote down, hope deferred. And in that moment, when I woke up out of that dream, I understood what was actually going on, that I couldn't praise him anymore. Why? Because my heart was sick. I had gone through levels of disappointment in my life where I had believed God for promises, where I had contended, interceded, fasted, prayed, declared, you name it, any formula, I had taken it and I had believed it and the opposite had happened in my life. And if anything, I had experienced levels of humiliation that I didn't know one man could capably experience. And I was like, Father... I am battling to have hope in the very nature and the goodness of who you are. I'm battling to stand on your word and believe in the promises that are written in your scriptures. Father, how did this happen? And he said to me, Alexandra, I've brought you here so that I can surround you with a people and I can flood back into you the very nature of who I am and I'm going to elevate the definition of hope And I'm going to demonstrate to you a part of my nature where you once thought I was good, but the next time you declare it, it's going to be with an authority that you have never declared it before because I'm about to come for you and I'm going to come through for you and I'm going to show you my faithfulness and I'm going to show you my goodness that when you pour it upon the people, it is going to become in their hearts. And that is what took place that year. So yes, I learned about theology Yes, it was about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in equal proportions. None of it was outbalanced. But what it was was a year of the Father putting me back together so that I could stand on my own two feet again and own who I am and release the nature of who he is to the people around me. So... At the end, um, so in like the eighth month of Bethel, now Bethel in the black, so the first four months were amazing and very much just receiving, receiving, receiving and still hiding and still a bit isolated and still not taking a microphone and still not stepping out prophetically prophesying of people with things that were burning on my heart like I just used to run from everything. And then about the, the, the fifth month, I suddenly felt a shift 
in the season. And I knew that any comfort zone that was counterfeit or safe place that was counterfeit that I'd been hiding behind was going to get taken from me. I knew. That season of my life, 20 years of it was over. It's terrifying. And that's exactly what happened. And it was by his kindness that that began to happen. So in the eighth month... It's our missions month, and this is where we go on missions. So you get to choose from like a hundred different nations, and you you get your pick. So I was going to Seattle, and just before we leave for Seattle, I get a mail from the leaders saying, "How should they best make use of me on this mission trip? So what are my strengths? Preaching, evangelism, prophesying, intercession. So what do I write down? I mean, there's nothing wrong with this, but just please understand in the context of what I'm saying." I write down intercession. Why? Because I want to hide. And I send off the form, and as I send off the form, the Father says to me, Alexandra, you're going to preach. <laughs> and I no sooner hear him say that that I hear back from the leaders saying, thank you for, your, um, for letting us know about intercession. We can't wait to use you in that area. However, we feel as a leadership team that you've been highlighted by the Holy Spirit to preach. And on top of that, you're going to be the guest speaker on the final night of a conference in Seattle where there's going to be about 500 people and thousands of people streaming in. And it's a revival conference, so bring whatever it is that is on your heart. So, like, no pressure. So I remember being like, oh, God. Like, I do not enjoy Didn't enjoy And standing up and doing this and being seen. It was such a terrifying thing for me. And I was like, okay, Father, revival conference, movement of the Spirit, supernatural. Okay, so what part of my supernatural life do you want me to share? Beginning, middle, end. Because I have a whole other life and story that I'll write a book about one day. And so I'm I'm mulling it over and I'm mulling it over. And I can't can't put my finger on what it is. So I said, okay, Father, you know how huge this moment is. You know the pressure and the expectation that's on me. So I know that you're going to come through for me. So I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to trust that you're going to speak to me in a dream of what it is that you want me to share with the nation of Seattle. God in his kindness speaks to me in a dream. Wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. The dream was very disappointing. I was preaching on learning to love yourself. I was like, Father, you can't be serious. I was like, I'm in process. I'm not even through it. I mean, I've had 20 years of a mindset towards myself. I'm not through with this. I can't preach on learning to love yourself to a congregation when I'm not even sure if I do. And he said, Alexandra, the moment you get on that stage, it's going to be the beginning of the end of your pain. And he said, I'm about to pour out my spirit upon the earth. And he said, I need my people made whole. Will you release your testimony? Because revival starts here. I can tell you something that all the way up until that moment that I got on that stage, I actually wasn't sure whether I was going to be obedient. Because the leaders were coming to me like, oh, we can't wait to hear what you're going to bring. We know that you've got a whole story and, you know, we, we, we've had sneak peeks and, oh, no pressure. And I'm just kind of smiling and going, oh, my gosh, what are you going to think when I get up there and I share about my greatest area of pain? And I felt the Father say to me, Alexandra, the greatest area of your pain is going to be your greatest area of authority. 
And as I shared, I saw the Father as I'm standing there on, on, the, um, on the stage. I saw the Father, and he brought a seat into the middle of the congregation, and he told the enemy to sit on it. And he said, now you're going to watch, and you're going to pay for what you did to my girl. And I saw the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 in that moment of um, where it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I love how in Luke 4, 18, where Jesus unrolls the scroll and he speaks on Isaiah 61 and he says in verse 21, and in your hearing, that scripture has been fulfilled. And that was exactly what I felt as I stood there for the first time, taking a hold of a microphone, saying yes to the destiny that was on my life. There was a divine appointment for me on that stage to release for the first time the unveiling of my life and 20 years of pain. And suddenly 20 years of pain was all made worth it because I realized what it was all for. That that which was against me that had trapped me and dictated to me was going to be a slave for me and the enemy was going to regret the day that he came for me. So when the leaders got up at the end of the conference, they were like, well, you know, um, if this message meant anything to anyone, please stand up. We, we don't think it will be everyone, you know, obviously just a couple of you. Please stand up. Well, the whole room of 500 people get up. You could feel the electricity of heaven. You could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You could feel the heart of the Father as people got set free from self-hatred, as people got set free from putting limitations on their lives because they're so afraid of being seen, because they're so afraid of the persecution that they're going to go through if they own who they are and if they step into the full blueprint of what God has created them for. So, yeah, it was a very powerful time. And uh, yeah. And what I, if I just can close with them, I just love to pray if I can. Because there's some of you here today that what I had to fight for for 20 years, that in a moment is your breakthrough. Because Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that which therefore I share of the testimony of what Jesus has done for me is immediately a prophecy over your life of what he's about to do. And so, Father, uh, I just thank you, Holy Spirit. Bless you. I just thank you, Father, for, for what you are wanting to do in the lives and the hearts of these people, that for the men and women who have disowned who they are, because they don't, they don't feel they have the permission to celebrate 
the perfection of what God has created. And I just speak restoration of your minds. That you would allow for your body to be one with you and not a separate part of you. And for those who have the fear of greatness and the fear of shining and the fear of having a voice and the fear of releasing the authority that God has put on them, Right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are just breaking the lids off people's lives. That they have permission to be big. You have permission to take your rightful seat at the table of greatness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father for such a restoration to take place in the hearts and the lives of these people this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.com dot dot